millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor who's best known for his book Man's Search for Meaning. It movingly describes his experiences in the Nazi concentration camps and how he made sense of it all through what became known as logotherapy. This was a reimagining of an ancient practice of blending psychoanalysis with existentialism, a practice which could trace its roots back to ancient Greece. The German title of Frankel's book, Nevertheless, Say Yes to Life, sums up the philosophy. For this week's Unthinkable, I spoke to Stephen J. Costello, who's the director of the Viktor Frankl Institute of Ireland. He practices and teaches logotherapy and is also the author of a number of books on philosophy, including The Irish Soul in Dialogue. I asked him, first of all, was logotherapy something for everybody or just people in need? So I would say it's something for everybody because it's not just a psychotherapy, it's a logotherapy, which means it extends beyond psychotherapy. We traditionally tend to think of psychotherapy being dealing with an ongoing base with people who have something wrong with them, a problem. Uh, logotherapy would have a psychotherapeutic aspect, so it would address that dimension, but also would look, look to their spirit. So the word logotherapy comes from logos, which can mean spirit or meaning, is the way Frankel translates it. So it's a meaning-centered intervention leading to kind of a change in attitude, an attitude and alteration. So if we change our attitude to things, behavior follows. So the task of the logotherapist or the existential analyst is to really go to the person's noetic core. So in other words, what Frankel means by that is he sees the human person in three dimensions, body, mind and spirit. And even though the body and mind can be broken, the spirit is never sick, the spirit of the person, the human spirit, what he sometimes calls the defiant power of the human spirit. So he would argue that that's where health and our great reservoirs of healing and meaning reside. And how does one draw out meaning in one's life? If someone came to you or, or was examining this for the first time, you know, it can be quite a daunting thing to sort of say, well, what's the meaning of life or what's the meaning of my life? How, how do you start that? Do you look at your relationships? Do you look at your work, how you live or, or where do you go? So, yes, you would look at, look for meaning in the messiness of life. And um, Frankl will distinguish between the meaning of the moment, which is unique, variable, changeable, singular, depending on the singular situation. So the meaning of the moment for me now is to talk clearly to you and to listen to your questions and to answer. When you leave, that meaning will change. So these meanings of the moment really are committing us to living in the present instant. Um, now, if you raise the question of the meaning of life, as Frankl said, it would be like asking a chess player, what's the, the best move in the game? It will always be dictated by context. So the meaning of life is a question for religion. The meanings in life is a question for logotherapy. But broadly speaking, Frank will, of course, highlight that there are three main ways we find meaning in life. One is uh, creatively, the, secondly, the second is experientially, the third is attitudinally. In other words, the first is creations, all the things we do, all the things we make, compose, write, the way we bring up our children, the way we relate to friends, all these things are creations. They're all the things we give to the world. Secondly, are our experiences or encounters, especially the people we love. They're all the, the things we receive from the world. And thirdly, um, when we can no longer experience something, for instance, if we're dying, 
and can no longer create something. What is left to actualize is the attitudinal values. In other words, to change our mind, how we respond to unbearable suffering, like in an operable cancer. Because when Frankl was in the camps, everything was taken away from him, his family, his profession, his liberty. Um, but the only thing he said the Nazis couldn't take was the attitude inside my own mind, which he called the last of the human freedoms. In that sense, is that the search for meaning changing, that the meaning is changing, if you like, as your life evolves. Uh, and maybe that's a mistake. People think of a meaning of life that they've discovered and then they've kind of sussed life and they have it uh, forever kind of to, to refer to. And it's often never uh, discovered, but it's kind of a, a, a search perhaps that for this, this goal, holy grail. Exactly. It's uh, Camus, the French philosopher, said the search itself is enough to fill a man's soul. So it's the search for meaning and to realize meaning potentials in life, to find your passion and that will lead to purpose and meaning. But you're right. Um, you, you know, you could argue, as Frankl does in one of his books, uh, Man's Search for Ultimate Meaning, which is based on his doctrine philosophy, initially called, originally called The Unconscious God. He would argue that there is ultimate meaning, but ultimate meaning can be approached, never appropriated. The, because the more comprehensive something is, the less comprehensible it is. So we wager this ultimate meaning. Now, what ultimate meaning might mean, people can construe uh, differently. A theist like myself would have to say that ultimate meaning can't be located or found in finite reality. That the very question of finite reality points to transfinite or infinite reality. In other words, the very question of contingency, that is to say, us dependent beings who are born, live and die, raises the question of necessary being, therefore God. So I think Frank would argue in those lines, but he'd be very careful and clear that logotherapy can't become a theology, that it's a secular science, although open to the transcendental dimension of life. Where does the question of leisure time, which is one thing you've thought a lot about and speak about before, um, and and the balance between work and leisure and, and where boredom fits into this, is boredom specifically an indicator of a life lacking in meaning? Yes, you raise those themes, boredom, leisure, meaning, they're all interrelated. I would say that leisure, Psalm 11 says, have leisure and know that I am God. But of course, we're we're very much part of the Protestant work ethic, capitalism, globalization, which stresses work, work, work. Uh, it's to get the balance of being right between contemplation and activity, work and leisure. But certainly the question about leisure is what we do with our leisure, the attitude we have towards it. And boredom can arise when we're unable to occupy our leisure hours so that leisure becomes laziness, just like liberty can become license. So in other words, boredom, I would say, is the desire for desire. And it's a symptom of the existential vacuum. And the existential vacuum is the void we find in ourselves and the world when we're confronted with the lack of meaning and the inner emptiness of being. So I would say that it's really important to find a task or commit oneself to a goal, be dedicated or devoted to a cause outside oneself, what Frankl called self-transcendence, because that's the essence of human existence. If we're not striving and struggling for something beyond ourselves, then life is becomes a mere bovine existence. So I would say that boredom really is the inability or the incapacity to enjoy leisure time. It can lead so so quickly to acedia, this old medieval sin, which is spiritual sloth or, or kind of a spiritual sadness, a dropping in the spirits, close cousin to depression. And therefore, I think boredom can be a silent killer. And we have to distinguish between a kind of situational boredom when I'm standing at the bus stop waiting or a kind of more rooted existential boredom. I'm just bored with being. 
what following on from that would let's say Victor Frankel or the logotherapist the logotherapist advise around holidays um, sh- should you you know the sort of the marketers would say go for some sun go for new experiences and so on would, would the logotherapist suggest actually go to do something that would feed the spirit yes I would say feed the spirit I like that um, so I would say that if the human person is construed in three dimensions body mind spirit soma psyche noose then flourishing and fullness in life is actually firing on three cylinders so somatically that would be exercise sleep nutrition psychically emotional well-being intellectual curiosity noetically or spiritually prayer or meditation or following one's conscience or loving or mobilizing the will to meaning all this is important so to answer your question more specifically what that means is that if we if we go on a holiday the problem with going on a holiday is we bring ourselves with us as Freud said, the ego can never escape from itself. To be is to is is a burden. Being is a burden to a degree. So it it sometimes requires us though to change our external landscape geographically. So that will parallel and alter a change in the inner landscape of our mindset. So therefore, a holiday, if it's just a removal to another place, can be good to some degree. But it's about the attitude we bring to the holiday. It's what we do with it. And it's all about firing on these three cylinders, soma, psyche, noose, because without that, there isn't a fullness of life. Looking at logotherapy as, as a response to um, mental health problems in society, depression, the threat of suicide and so on, it, it maybe has been left out of the, the traditional picture, the, 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 the current picture in terms of responding those from a public health perspective. Is that a mistake? And I suppose particularly maybe an over-reliance on certain medicalized models instead Absolutely. It is a category mistake. So if I can give you a concrete example, if we take depression, you know, I mightn't say there are three types of depression, but if we construe the person in these three dimensions, then a depression affecting the the brain, let's say, if it's a biochemical depression, what psychiatrists call an endogenous depression, it's purely somatogenic, or it's primarily rather than purely somatogenic, so it's bodily. Now, the appro- an appropriate course of action there would be psychiatry, pharmacological intervention, prescribed medication and drugs. But of course, we can't just separate the brain from the mind or the body. So they're all interlinked. So that will affect the body as well uh, and the mind and the spirit. But if we just take one type of depression so that its etiology is primarily endogenous or somatogenic, psychiatry, the medical model would be a better way to go. Now, that doesn't preclude somebody who suffers from, let's say, a biochemical disorder like a bipolar a depressive disorder from consulting a psychiatrist or logotherapist because that could prevent secondary depression etc etc but that would be one way second way let's say you suffer the loss of a loved object your depression is psychogenic in other words it's a reaction to the loss of love so it isn't biochemical it's now psychological therefore a better course of treatment wouldn't necessarily be medicalizing that sadness it would be seeking help through talking cures like psychotherapy psychoanalysis logotherapy and let's say then your depression is one of just, you know, this kind of philosophical depression or spiritual depression, existential depression, where you ask yourself, what is the point of human existence? What is its purpose? What is it ultimate, does it ultimately mean, if anything? That type of depression, if you want to call it that, would be a neogenic depression, a kind of spiritual one. And in that case, meditation, I would say, would be better than medication. So sometimes, to quote a famous bestseller, Plato is better than Prozac. But it just depends on the presenting symptoms, the syndromes, what type, what is the etiology, and then you will prescribe uh, a a course of treatment modality fitting that. But they're all intermixed. There's no such thing as pure 
endogenous depression, pure psychogenic depression. But one will be more in the ascendancy and that will dictate the treatment. But certainly logotherapy would be a treatment where one has in the in the sacred space of the consultant room an opportunity to explore past, present, future. But for Frankel, it's very much staying in the present, but having a futural dimension and orienting ourselves to this logos dimension of life, which alone gives meaning and hope and offers healing to mankind. And just how would that sort of philosophical therapy, let's say, differ from some therapies like the cognitive behavioural therapies? To a certain degree, I would say that cognitive behavioural therapy, which is very popular, is a kind of homework. It's trying to uh, reach you at the level of just changing your your cognitions, your behaviour at the level of how you're thinking. But it's very rooted in um, behavioural changes. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good approach. I suppose logotherapy, I would argue, has that component as well. But for Frankel, it's more about changing our attitude to life. That's where the real work is and behaviour follows. So, of course, a lot of behaviours took some of Frankel's techniques, like paradoxical intention, which has a 74% clinical success rate for people with phobias and anxieties. It's really a fascinating one. It's asking people to desire to have happened the thing they fear most because desire cancels out fear. So if you've insomnia, we're going to bed anticipating our anxiety over our inability to sleep. So rather than trying to sleep, Frank would say try to keep awake as possible and then the body will find its natural rhythm. So I would say that logotherapy has a strong cognitive dimension, but it's more than that. It's more sophisticated or subtle. It's more nuanced because it's not trying to just bring in a technique at the level of outer kind of rigid behaviorism, but it's trying to do something more subtle, which is alter our state of mind or consciousness about things. That's where the real work is. It's also partly analytical. Frankel also calls it an existential analysis. So that means that it looks at the person in all his dimensions, the biological, the psychological, the social and the spiritual. So we would say it's kind of complete therapy. It has in it a psychotherapeutic aspect, cognitive stuff, psychoanalytic, but always more than that, because the difference in essence, as you've rightly phrased it there, uh, Joe, it's kind of philosophical therapy rather than just a psychological. So it goes deeper, it goes broader, and it tries to reach the human spirit, which can never be sick. Because if you take somebody from suffering from depression or anything like that, Frank would argue that there is a human person intact behind this illness or an operable cancer. There is uninjured humanity, the noetic core of the person, which is spirit. And that's where we try to go to. That's where we, what we try and access. Finally, it's very hard to explain, let's say, what lies behind societal trends around mental illness or suicide. And there's been a lot of talk and theories around what drives the the, uh, the numbers there that have been detected. Um, do, do you think the lack of discussion in society more broadly around meaning is, is a hindrance, if you like, to mental health? I do. I think we're witnessing at the moment the breakdown in traditional answers to questions of meaning. So previously we'd go to our pastor or priest. Now there's a kind of bleak religiosity. That's broken down for a lot of young people. The power of the Catholic Church has been, it's on its knees really. So people aren't going there for answers anymore. We're living in a banal politic. So the the the, the traditional resource of state and church have left have let people down. So what 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 is filling the gap then? What fills the void when you take away traditional values? What usually fills the void is sex and aggression, you know, drugs and everything. And when things get 
too much for people. For instance, boredom is is where there's too little challenge, anxiety where the challenge is too much and people flounder and get depressed and suicide raises its head as an option for people. And Frankl would say, today we have the means to live but no meaning to live for. So what we're witnessing is a contemporary crisis of meaning, a crisis which is about the lack of meaning and the existential vacuum which is being filled up with drugs, drink, promiscuity, all these things. And what people are lacking is meaning because meaning is correlated to mental health. If you don't have meaning, you won't have mental health. To be mentally healthy is to be in order in our being, to be integrated, to achieve wholeness, which is the synthesis of all these three different parts of the human personality, first laid out by Plato and retrieved for us in contemporary times by Frankel. So I think that if people can't find personal meaning in their lives, in work or relationships, then they the chances are that they will be existentially frustrated and that will lead to a neurosis and that could culminate in suicide. So it is very important that policymakers, journalists, politicians, philosophers, logotherapists get involved in a contemporary cultural debate and raise questions how we can find meaning. And I would say a short way of, of doing that is to, I know it's it, there's some inroad has been made this, but to introduce philosophy into secondary schools, to talk about meaning and values, to, I mean, for instance, Frankel set up free counselling centres uh, offering logotherapy to youth in Vienna, which at the highest rate of suicide before the Second World War. A year later, there wasn't one reported suicide. So it's to get things like logotherapy out there. Um, obviously, I believe in it because I think it's a complete, full, uh, unique system. But there are other systems, but it's just to make people aware of this, the citizens, that there are things going on. And at my own institute, the Victor Frankl Institute of Ireland, I train people in logotherapy and existential analysis. I brought Victor Frankl's work to Ireland in 2009, and I'm in a unique position of privilege to actually be able to help and train people. And I'm utterly committed to that because I know it saves lives, and I know what people really want is a meaning to their existence. Nothing less than that, nothing more either. Stephen Costello, thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.